Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Claussen, and today I chat with Nikki Nableve. Sapphire training helps the on-the-go woman feel more energetic, find her inner peace, and become more powerful by creating a fitness lifestyle she loves. All right, so a little background on Nikki. She is a Pilates teacher, a balanced body body master trainer, and massage therapist who's helped thousands of people who struggle with injury to get fit with less pain by teaching them how to move better and work smarter. So today's interview, Nikki and I really break down um, a lot of shoulder issues. We talk hamstring issues. We talk back issues, um, low back pain in particular, rotator cuff. So, I mean, this is a lot of stuff. Um, we kind of go deep into some muscle. And um, I figured this is a great conversation to be had and for people to learn from and maybe understand where some of the pain might be coming from. Because sometimes when we think, oh, this pain, it must be coming from my hip, when really it could be something from your back or even your ankle mobility. So we chat with that and kind of how to um, help yourself through that process or kind of understand where your pain might be coming from. So um, I hope you guys get some great information and she has a great blog. If you guys want to see any more um, pictures of some of the moves that we talked about, you can head on over to her website, which is in the show notes. So check that out as well. And without further ado, here is today's show. Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm super excited to have Nikki Nab Leve. I forgot to ask you how to say your name. Tell me that was right. Not believe but close enough. Okay. <laughs> it's close. That's where I always am like, shoot, as soon as I saw your name, I was like, oh, that one, I'm not exactly sure how to say that one. So this is Nikki. And Nikki, I'm super excited to have you on because we're going to kind of go deep into anatomy. So I want to know more. I love anatomy. I am totally into this. So I want to know a little bit more um, about your background and how you got into fitness. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, so first, fun uh, fun fact and kind of funny story. The only class I've ever had to retake in high school, college, my entire academic uh, career was human anatomy. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of known for my anatomical knowledge now. So <laughs> it's just, it's, it's really kind of ironic like that. But uh, that great. does dovetail into my uh, undergrad is in exercise science. Because basically, I was in, I started getting into group fitness when I was like 16, so I started pretty young. I got my first certification when I was 18, started teaching, and I was like, oh, this whole teaching Pilates group fitness stuff is kind of fun. So I ended up declaring a second major in exercise science, only to find that I'm not an academic science person. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> hence when I got to human anatomy, uh, it caught up with me and I kind of blew off the class and I kind of had to retake it, but actually, yeah, it was like, but it was a hidden blessing because in having to retake it, I actually learned that I like anatomy. And then when I had to go into the real world and work with people, I found out I, I really like anatomy when you're actually working with people and helping them. Oh. Uh, so that's, that's sort of hence my interest in it. But uh, on a more practical note, uh, because my background started in group fitness, I kind of did what a lot of group fitness instructors do when they start out. Uh, they teach too many classes. And I ended up with a lot of injuries from teaching said too many classes. Mm -hmm. And that kind of dovetailed into my interest of how to work with people uh, who have pain, who want to do fitness, but can't figure out how to without constantly being in that revolving door between the physical therapist and the gym. Oh yeah, I totally, that's something that I've seen from some of my friends who are group fitness instructors. Someone, one of my good girlfriends just blew out her knee last summer you know, and because she taught way too many classes and did all the moves with everyone, which I remember from when I used to do some of the moves training and then teach two to three classes a day. Like it's just exhausting on your body, but you don't realize it when you're doing it. Right. And also everyone is injured. So it's yeah. like, you're, you're part of like the we're all injured club. And so you don't realize that it's not normal <laughs> to be injured all the time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that is also true. And then all of a sudden you're like, why am I so burned out? Like, oh. That might be it. <laughs> and, and I mean, I hate to say it. I think, I think it's a rite of passage. And it's, of course, not that the classes are bad or that fitness is bad. It's 
just too much. <laughs> right. It's too much is too much. And so yes. you, some of us have to learn that the hard way. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. So for some of that, then do you think it stems from like those injuries, the overuse injuries? Are they, what do you think the main driver is? Is it like, I know you talk about stability and mobility. Is that due to kind of this overuse or how does that come into play? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think it's so, so injuries can of course stem from a lot of places. Um, but for, for the, for this conversation right now, or for this topic, let's set aside acute injuries, like the Mm -hmm. step off a sidewalk and like twist your ankle type injuries, because those aren't usually the one, I mean, we see those in fitness, but those aren't the ones that we see more often. What a lot of us see is like, um, or experience is sort of like, oh, my knee is kind of cranky. I'm just going to push through it. Oh, my knee is really cranky. I'm just going to push through it. Oh, now my knee hurts so bad that it doesn't just hurt in the gym. It hurts when I walk down the street and I walk my dog, Mm -hmm. right? And that type of injury, be it your knee, your shoulder, your hip, your back, your ankle, whatever, really, uh, in my experience, just comes down to the fact that most of us, when we go into fitness, rather than kind of doing things um, from A to B to C, we kind of just jump into the hard stuff and the deep end really a little too quickly. And basically, if you have your typical desk job, and I mean, even like I'm a fitness professional, but I sit a lot Mm -hmm. during the day, like to write articles and, you know, work on admin stuff or whatever. But when we sit and we don't move our body in like a variety of directions, like our body gets really good at doing whatever it is that we do most. So most of us are sort of really good at sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. And our posture reflects sitting in a chair. And when you sit for a long period of time, like your deep stabilizers and your glutes turn off, um, your alignment's not so hot, you get some weird shoulder and like rib positioning. And then when you take that alignment and you just go from that straight to the gym, so you've gone from sitting all day to like, I don't know, like high intensity and exercise and burpees, there's something that you've missed in the middle to prepare your body for that type of challenge. Mm. This is an interesting conversation because I am so, well, I don't quite fall on the desk job because I don't sit quite as much, but I hate warming up. So I usually am the person who jumps <laughs> right into the workout. Like today, I literally trained six clients, came right to the gym and was like, uh, I'm just going to go right into it. You know, and I grabbed like the heavy weights to just start into it. And then I'm like, hmm, probably should have done something, but oh, well. Right. And I mean, it's, it's human nature. I, I want to skip the warm up too, because the reality is, is the stuff that prepares our body for movement isn't very exciting. Like you're not going to break a sweat doing a book opener. It's kind of quote unquote boring. Yes. Right. Like, I don't want to say it's boring because it's really valuable, but it, it's, it's not very exciting. And so we tend to skip the warm up. but just for example, like, uh, Let's talk, let's talk about the shoulder for fun. So a lot of people like have shoulder pain when they do an overhead press, for example, mm-hmm. right? Your shoulder alignment is heavily dictated by what your uh, thoracic spine or your upper back is doing. So if you have a stiff thoracic uh, spine, which most of us do from standing or sitting in one repetitive posture all day long, and then you layer in a weighted shoulder press over that without mobilizing your spine first, your shoulder is going to sit in a weird position to do it. And then your shoulder might hurt when it otherwise wouldn't if you had warmed up your spine properly beforehand. Totally. That makes sense. And that might be why I have this weird pain as you're discussing this. I'm like, hmm, maybe this is why I have this weird pain in like the middle of my back. Cause I do not warm up and go right into heavy lifting. And typically like I did, you know, an incline chest press today. So this is all coming into place for myself as we're talking through this. <laughs> it, and it happens. Right. And I'm, I'm not saying that like your warm up has to be like this 40 minute life event. It, it, it's just more of like, take 10 minutes before you add the load. That's all. Like just, just do a few really concentrated things to kind of target the areas that you know for yourself are usually kind of stiff. And then on the flip side, maybe wake up the stabilizers or those little posture muscles that track your joints in space before you add the load in. So you sort of have the best or most efficient movement possible when you push through load where that alignment really matters. So doing like more dynamic warm up is probably something you would suggest over just walking on the treadmill for five minutes. Absolutely. So, I mean, for example, if we go with like the shoulder, well, so in general, whether you're doing upper or lower body, like I'm a big fan of like move the spine unloaded in the various directions. And I'm not talking rocket science. I'm thinking like 
some sort of book opener or bow and arrow, like a cat cow, maybe a little bit of tail wag where you're on your hands and knees and it sounds exactly what it is. You lift one foot in the air and you wag your tail, like just little things just to get your spine moving. And then layering in from there, just a little bit of stability for the shoulders. So like things that would target like your rotator cuff, um, your serratus anterior, your traps, like, but again, under low load, higher rep. And then like just a little bit of like hip activation, which again, there's 8,000 hip activation exercises you can do, but like neutral bridging or clamshell, like mm -hmm. it's, it's not, it's not complicated, but when you take the time to do it, it works pretty nicely and then makes movements that are normally feel icky hard, feel like good hard. Mm. So then well, kind of at the end of the workout, what do you suggest for people to do like stretching to cool down or what is kind of that end of the workout routine looking like? So I'll be, I'll be honest. Um, cooldowns are good, but I'm kind of the worst. So I'll make myself <laughs> warm up, but like, I, I'm like the, okay, got it. Slam it down. Done. Like, <laughs> like, I can like, relate to this as well. <laughs> right. But, but again, I mean, I think personally what I find is if and this is so not scientific, but like at the end of a workout, I kind of take inventory of how things feel, at least in my body, or I'll sort of notice like how someone's moving. Um, if I'm like in a client session and in my personal practice, what I'll end up doing is I'm, if I'm like, oh, wow, like the inside of my knee felt a little weird and oh, that hip was a little glitchy, for example, like I might do a little bit foam roll, a little bit of foam rolling, or I might just do like a little bit of gentle stretching. I'm hypermobile, so I don't really stretch a lot. I tend to move more like dynamically through ranges of motion. Um, that so, sense. so that's, that's for me. Uh, and, and likewise for clients, a lot of the time, like they don't really, like I tend to attract clients who are like myself, which means they tend to be a little bit of overachievers and a little bit type A. And so you kind of have to sneak in the good stuff. And so we're yeah. like the, the helpful stuff that doesn't make you sweat, so to speak. So a lot of the time for those people, it's like, you'll kind of kill, I'll kind of kill them in the middle. I'll be like, great. Now we're going to get on the foam roller and stretch or in the beginning, I'll be like, I know, I know, but it's only five minutes. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a good way to phrase it. Be like, okay, I can do this. Five minutes, really not that long. Right. And do you five recommend? is really 10. Yeah. Well, you know, start there. That's what I always say. We'll start at five and maybe we'll <laughs> I've done that before. <laughs> do you suggest foam rolling before ever or primarily after? Mm, you know, I think it can go either way. A lot of it is, there's not really, there's a little bit of science on foam rolling, but I don't think anyone's really bothered to like study whether it works better before or after. Okay. Uh, if you do it beforehand, it can be nice because you can often find, um, because of how it stimulates the nervous system, you get an increase in range of motion. So if you kind of increase your range of motion and then you do like more challenging exercises, you'll be able to use that range of motion that you've created. So it's, so it's helpful to do it beforehand if you're looking at it from that perspective. Um, but at the same time, if like lying on the foam roller down regulates your nervous system. So if you do it at the end, you might find that that takes you out of that sympathetic nervous system response and kind of calms things down mm. and might leave you feeling good for the rest of the day. So I think it just depends on what you're trying to use it for. Mm, that makes sense. And for people who are like, okay, there's so many different kinds of foam rollers now. Is there any one in particular that you prefer or just start with any? Uh, I mean, you know, this is, I, I joke that it's like the foam roller turf wars. Like people oh, have so many, right? people have such strong opinions about what roller to use, which yes. cracks me up because like your, your nervous system can't tell the difference See, to be perfectly that's, honest. <laughs> that's where I was wanted to know. <laughs> uh, so it, right. It's, no, this is a great question. So what I'll say at the risk of being blasphemous and making the foam roller gods angry, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that um, you only want to use as much pressure with a foam roller as is necessary to create change. Okay. And so there's some softer rollers out there and there are some very hard rollers out there. I personally am a bit of a wimp who doesn't like a lot of pain. So I'm not a huge fan of the really hard rollers with like knobs in them. Yeah. 
I'm um, scared of those myself. <laughs> right? So, so what I'll say with that is that there's this idea, sometimes we get on a roller that it's like no pain, no gain. And, and really that's not how your nervous system takes an input. So when you use a foam roller, a lot of that is just your, it's like having a conversation with your nervous system. And so when you create pressure, it sends a signal like through the connective tissue and the muscle, um, those little motor units. Uh, and it basically tells it to like relax to a more appropriate length. That's kind of what's happening mm. uh, in a very, very bad, uh, you know, generic science, let's say, because <laughs> uh, it's way more complicated than that. That's kind of what's happening. So if you kind of go with sometimes a softer tool and you slow down a little bit, uh, you're more likely to kind of get a relaxation response and kind of just send that signal a little more clearly, let's say, to the nervous system. Whereas the harder roller is not bad, but if you tend to go too hard too fast, like you sort of jam it in there and you go for pain, mm. by the time you've hit the point of pain and you feel like your muscle jumping off the roller and there's like tears streaming down your face, like that's not relaxing anything. You're just stressing out your body. Mm. So you're not going to hurt yourself kind of going Rambo with it, but you're also probably not going to create a lot of change that way. Mm. That's, that is good. Um, I guess rule of thumb when you're using it. Cause that's, that's why I've stayed away from some of those, like the runs with the ridges. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I, the, the regular ones still get me fine. So I'm like, I don't know if I need to go the next step for some unknown reason. Right. And a lot of the time people, what I find people who really like the hard roller are going really fast. Oh yeah. So, so they're, they're kind so they're whipping around on it. And when you go that quickly, like it's really hard to send any sort of signal to the tissues that you're trying to work on. So a lot of people discover when they slow down that they don't actually have the brilliant pain tolerance against the really hard <laughs> roller with the spikes that they thought they did. Oh, that, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. The first time, I mean, especially if you've never tried one, the first time I did a foam roller, I was right out of college and oh my goodness, like I had to do it with Pilates before a Pilates session. And I like was about like ready to jump off. Like the instructor was like, keep going. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the worst pain I've ever felt. Oh yeah. It's brutal. The first time I used one and I think I, I think I used that really hard black foam one was in like a fitness class and I'm pretty sure I impinged a nerve in my hip. Oh gosh. Like I was like, is my leg supposed to go numb? And they're like, probably not. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. So like foam rolling is a great though. I mean, great warm up, great cool down. Um, and just kind of no wrong way essentially to do it. Right. I mean, there's a lot of methods out there. I'd say if you take the time to be a little bit more specific, go a little bit slower, uh, think about the direction that you're moving in. If you kind of, if you go against the, the grid of the muscle fiber, if that makes sense, um, it, it mimics more of like a cross fiber friction and massage. So you might get a little bit more specificity. Mm. But I mean, for the most part, like it's a foam roller. There's you can only do it so many ways. Yes. Yes. That's what I tell people. Like, just get started. Just hop on. Your body will kind of be like, okay, this is, I like it or I need to work into this. Yep. <laughs> so for the kind of the rest of our conversation, because I want to hit some, you know, hamstrings and hips possibly and shoulders a little bit more. I want you to define um, what stability and mobility are. So in your definition, so that way we can kind of have that reference in the back of our head. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just start by saying that it's probably not the textbook definition. Um, hey, that's all right. But, but it'll be close enough is good enough. So, yes. so to me, stability and mobility are kind of two sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. But basically throughout our system, we need areas where things need to move well. And at the same time, we need other areas um, where things need to stiffen to line up our joints and uh, protect our joints when we go into movements, particularly when we go into movements under heavier loads, like say like um, heavier weightlifting. So, so in the case of stability, it's going to be those little postural muscles that I've alluded to that we have all throughout our body that help kind of track our joints in space. And for most of us, um, sometimes I'll talk about it like in fitness, 
there's sort of an unspoken rule that we often assume that the stabilizers are already doing their job because they're so automatic, so we don't think about it. And we in fitness really, really like to focus on um, basically the big, pretty muscles or what are sometimes called uh, global mobilizers. So um, they're, the, they're the mirror muscles. So for example, like your quads. Mm-hmm. That's like a big, powerful muscle that moves you through space. But next to, say, that quad, you have uh, your psoas, which is like a deep core muscle that helps flex your hip, right? And so the psoas would be one of the kind of postural muscles. It's kind of deep, uh, and it's more responsible for tracking. And with that, if we're trying to talk core, you know, we can also talk about like pelvic floor, multifidi, transverse, abdominis, et cetera. Uh, but, but those muscles are supposed to kick on to help stabilize your pelvis and your core. And then the big muscles like your glute max and your quads are going to help move you through space. Mm. Right. Most mm-hmm. of us tend to train the big muscles. We don't tend to target the little muscles because they're not very exciting. They're introverts. You barely feel them when they turn on. Um, they only respond to low load and high reps. So they're just not that interesting. And it's also sort of assumed that they're doing their job. So a lot of us tend to be weak in stabilizers and that's where we tend, we tend to get like uh, like poor tracking in the hip or the knee or the low back. Mm. Does that make sense? No, that makes total sense. And yeah, then I was like, oh, I want to talk about the psoas today too. As soon as you brought that up, I'm like, that's another rabbit hole I right? like to talk about. Right, add, add that to the list. So, yeah. so, the, so then on the flip side, like those are the stabilizers. That's what stability is. Stability is, is can you track your joints in space under various loads and movement? At the same time, you need uh, mobility. And mobility is can you move these joints through space? Uh, and for a lot of us, what happens is Places of instability tend to be hypermobile, and right next to that place of instability where we have too much movement is a joint that doesn't move enough. Mm. So, for example, if we look at uh, low back uh, pain, for example, a lot of people like low back discomfort, people have too much mobility or instability of the low back. So their deep core stabilizers aren't turning on as well as they could. But at the same time, they also, that too much mobility in the low back is happening because they don't have enough movement or mobility in their upper back. Mm. So does it have anything to do with the core? Uh, Yeah. So that would be like core stability. And what happens in fitness a lot of the time is people go, no, no, my core is really strong. And they're right. Like they're really strong in their superficial core muscles. They're really strong in their obliques. They might be too strong in their obliques. They're really strong in their rectus, but they're they're doing that without ever actually using their deep core muscles. Mm. So they don't have core control. So they've got core strength, but they don't have the control or of those, of those deeper muscles to like hold a good position. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that I think makes a lot of sense. Cause especially with the low back pain, I think that's something that usually people are always like, Oh, my core is too weak. Um, without even thinking anything about the upper back and issues that that might be causing. So what are some kind of, I guess, blanket things that might help people if they, you know, obviously this is going to be without you seeing this person in particular, but in general that help that low back pain, what are some exercises people can do? Right. So of course, uh, if if you suspect you have something going on with your low back, (laughs) go see your doctor and or physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I should start by saying that uh, to make sure there's not something uh, structural underlying it that's causing that problem. Uh, But uh, usually a lot of the time, if we have low back pain, we have too much mobility or instability in our low back. And we've got a really stiff... um, upper back or thoracic spine. And then we often also have really stiff and at the same time weak hips Mm. and really stiff ankles. And so I love this answer because now I'm just going to say, oh, we'll work everything. But but if I wanted to be specific, I'd say if it's tolerable, I would do some upper back mobility. So like thoracic extension, uh, thoracic, or well, really, if I was going to go in a specific order, I'd go thoracic rotation, thoracic side bending, one or both of those, and then thoracic extension because thoracic extension is so hard for people to access. So rotation is usually easier. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it'll make extension easier to access. And then I would follow that up with like some gentle hip mobility, stability work. And then I would do some core control work. And that's just basically things that require you having a neutral pelvis while you move your arms and or your legs. So like a classic example of that would be like a bird dog or um, a dead bug. Mm. Those are, yes, those are great. I actually did a workshop with someone who demonstrated how to walk properly with the pelvis in neutral 
And my husband found this fascinating. He was like, oh, I'm not even walking properly. And, you know, didn't even realize that until kind of seeing, oh, there's so much more at play that goes on with our body when we don't even think about it. So some of these patterns we're developing by just walking daily. Right. And, and none, to be fair, none of us are quote unquote walking correctly, but a great example of why people have low back pain when they walk, because that's really common is mm-hmm. they don't have enough hip extension. Mm-hmm. And so they do all the extent. And so they do all the extension from their lower back. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So with the ankle mobility, um, how does someone kind of know if they have that ankle instability? I mean, a good question is, or the way I would look at it is uh, first, well, what, so if you look at someone's heel raise, mm-hmm. watching some, or a releve, sometimes it gets called, watching someone do a releve can be really telling, or watching your own releve or calf raise can be really telling in how well your ankles track. And what most of us do is we sickle the foot. So we end up putting all of our weight out on the pinky toe side mm. and the heels kind of pull apart. And so you, you, and so you don't look like you're going straight up and down on your, on your toes. Mm. You actually look like your heels wing away from each other. That would be an ankle that doesn't have great tracking or strength or stability. Mm. That's good to know. Cause I've had that uh, with myself. I just discovered that I have that issue um, or kind of, and um, I have a, have you heard of PRI? Do you know PRI? Maybe. <laughs> it's like a physical therapy, like a pastoral restorative institute, okay. I want to say is what they're called. And so the guy I've been going to, um, you know, now my son is 15 months, 16 months old. And um, I went right after giving birth. And then now I waited a little bit and we're discovering, okay, that hip pain's just kind of hanging in there. And so mm-hmm. now, you know, we finally were like, oh, you know, he'd asked me before, have you sprained your ankle? I'm like, yeah, but you know, no big deal. It was, you know, I was a basketball player, did it many times. So then he had me lay down on the table and looked at my feet as they were hanging off the edge. My right, he took a picture. He's like, oh, now we finally figured it out. My right ankle just kind of, it just turned in, like just automatically, like just hanging. It couldn't just hang, it automatically turned inwards. And so um, he's like, well, this is what we need to help fix is, you know, help with that ankle joint, try to stabilize it. And I was like, I don't think a lot of people think about this when we're thinking, oh, I have pain in my hip or I have pain in my low back. We are not thinking it's not our low back. That's the issue. It's probably something else going on. Absolutely. And so for a lot of people, it is like, I I work on this, but I, I also have a history of ankle sprains. And so I do a lot of persnickety calf raises. Mm. Right. Because that's a quick way to, that's a really effective way to like strengthen it. And if you do the calf raise slowly and you do it where, you know, you roll actually more into the middle of the forefoot. So you're actually tracking over your, um, I want to say metatarsal head, but that's complicated. Basically more over your big toe as opposed to exclusively over your baby toe, then you're going to turn on the muscles of the calf uh, more directly. And you're going to send a signal to your brain that that's the path of action your foot should take when like you're walking or squatting or jumping. Mm, I like that. That's an easy exercise to do. Um, what about, can we talk about now shoulders? So shoulder, um, issues, what do you find is the most common thing that, you know, people see? Cause I think rounded shoulders, you know, kind of hunching forwards are something that I work on as a trainer. Is that something that you kind of are seeing just that roundedness and that upper back? shoulders coming inwards? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've kind of already said this, but when you have a shoulder issue, what you really have is um, a a spinal issue. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean by that is if you, for example, let's, so people tend to be in one of two ways. They tend to either be too rounded in their upper back, right? Mm-hmm. Or they do what is the uh, very common fitness posture, dancer posture, gymnast posture. I absolutely have this where they try to stand up straight. So like they stick their ribs forward and they almost look like they're standing in a back bend. Yeah. Yep. Does that, you know what I'm talking about, I'm right? I'm totally envisioning that right now. Yep. Yeah. And, and part of it is how we're cued, right? Like proud chest, shoulders back and down, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So, so with that, what's so interesting is the really rounded back posture, which is sometimes called kyphosis and mm-hmm. that kind of rib sheared stand tall, like kind of fitness posture are actually the same thing. And that um, the standing tall sort of rib sheared posture is really just a hidden kyphosis. So that's how the nervous system is hiding that it can't extend the upper spine. It's actually lifting the entire upper back by hinging from kind of T12-ish. So from almost like right, right around the lower back. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I ha- also have discovered with this, like my left rib like to flare outwards, which <laughs> I just thought it was normal. I just thought everyone's rib did that until, you know, going to this PRI. And so he's like, oh, we're going to get that rib back down. And I was like, oh, I've had this my entire life. Like there's no way. Oh no, there is a way. Cause it's back down and it stays in if I'm paying attention. And so I think that is from those, I mean, many years of me doing that, standing like that, because that's what we were taught. And even in yoga teacher training, that's what they teach us is, you know, rolling those shoulders up, down in your back pocket and your chest lifted. And then a lot of times when we do that, we do lose control of those ribs, which, you know, then is going to cause some breathing issues and whatnot. Right. So, so basically, um, if you have a said shoulder posture thing, um, before you even try to fix your shoulder, because if you are on a displaced rib cage, it's, it's just, it's not going to work very well. Mm-hmm. Again, I've already said this, you want to start by mobilizing the spine. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like that's what it sounds like, basically doing spinal movements in all directions, relatively unloaded. So like, you're not going to do this with like a hundred pound barbell on your back. It's just going to be like you and body weight <laughs> in the ground uh, <laughs> for anyone who thinks that more is better. Uh, but then from there, the shoulder itself. So once you change that sort of relative upper back rib cage position, the shoulder itself can sit in a few different places. And for a lot of us, um, this is going to sound I don't know, not controversial, but not, not necessarily intuitive for a lot of us. A lot of people I see, they actually, especially in fitness have shoulders that are depressed. So Mm -hmm. they've been pulling their shoulders in their back pockets for all movements for so long Mm -hmm. that they actually have lost the ability to upwardly rotate the shoulder blade. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that's happening. And then on top of that, most of us don't have a super strong rotator cuff because we just don't use it sitting in our weird desk posture. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's, I mean, it does internal and external rotation of um, the humeral head or your upper arm bone, but it also sucks your upper arm bone in the joint. So for a lot of us, it, that, that whole humeral head or upper arm bone sits forward. Mm. So that's what we see. Um, and then that's why we actually have problems when we bring our arm overhead. It's our shoulder blade isn't moving well enough into upward rotation, what it should do when it goes overhead. And so we kind of jam our arm bone into our shoulder blade and then we get impingement and it goes out. This is interesting, and I am totally going to test this out. I train some senior citizens, mm-hmm. and this is the movement that I would say a lot of them have issues with is that overhead shoulder press in general, but I'm thinking a lot of them don't know how to move their scapulas and kind of getting that scapula to rotate upwards. That's my guess is where some of this is stemming from. I mean, there's probably other issues as well, but um, what I have found... I guess, as people age, one way I've heard this described, I don't know if this is true. I think it was a yoga teacher that had told us this. Tell me if you've heard this before. But as we age, we get the fascia that kind of grows over like our hips, our shoulders. And if we're not working on, you know, getting that, those areas mobilized, well, in terms of like foam rolling or even just, you know, we do arm circles or just trying to get that joint active, like it just gets tighter and tighter. And that's when we get really stiff as we age. And you see a lot of people have trouble, you know, they kind of have that shuffle Um, If you've seen some of like, you know, 80, 90 year olds that just kind of shuffle or can't really move their arms overhead at all. Is this true? A yoga teacher told me this and I was taking it as word, but I'm like, maybe I should ask you if this. I have no idea if it's true. I mean, it's anecdotally. Anecdotally, sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, so, so basically with all of this stuff, whether it's fascia or the nervous system, our bodies are very use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. And so most of us don't use our shoulders, for example, yeah. in, its, in their fullest ranges of motion. And, and most of us don't already, like even when we're younger, don't have the fullest ranges of motion, like our scapula don't move upward and downwardly the way that they should. Mm -hmm. And so we get these other strategies. And so for example, to go back to the, back to the older client or someone who has a shoulder dysfunction, if your shoulder can't, if your shoulder blade can't upwardly rotate, which is pretty much if you're like, what is that? It's, Mm -hmm. it's basically the top of the shoulder goes kind of down in um, medial or down and in. And then the bottom of the shoulder blade, that wing tip goes out and up. Mm -hmm right? If it can't do that um, because it's, you know, kind of fascially glued or because you're weak in those upward rotators, like say serratus anterior 
uh, and some of the traps. I won't say the muscles because I'll get them backwards because they switch off depending on the action that's happening. But if those things can't happen, then the shoulder blade will kind of protract. It'll kind of go forward along the rib cage and elevate. It'll go straight up. And that's why so many people look like they're shrugging their shoulders when they bring their arms overhead. Mm-hmm. And so that pattern, whether it's fascially bound, so that's the only pattern it has to get your arm over your head, or it's just like a neuromuscular thing. It's the strategy your brain has adopted to get your arm over your head. Whatever it is, when you get ingrained in that pattern, it's hard to get out of it. And it's more obvious as you become older because you've had more time to sort of build that pattern into your body. Uh, That totally makes sense. Yeah, that's something that we work with. Well, especially if I do yoga with any of my clients, that's where I can really see that coming into play when they have, anytime I put their arms overhead, you know, the people who are typically the ones who have desk jobs, it's right away, you know, the shoulders are up by the ears. And I'm like, all right, so let's try to do that, but keep your shoulders where they are, you know, and just trying to work that and trying to train your body to understand, okay, let's see if we can make this the natural movement instead of the shoulders coming immediately up to the ears. Right. And it's one of those things where it's so tricky when you're actually trying to do it on yourself or when you're working with someone because our shoulders are behind us, we can't see them. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, where the shoulders back and down cue that's kind of in vogue in fitness or has been in vogue. That's why it's so popular. And it's true. Part of your shoulder is going back and down the top part, but the part that we're missing is that the bottom part goes out and up. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's interesting. Um, So Speaking with shoulders, if you have, because I also have a lot of people who have had rotator cuff injuries. Now, is there anything in particular that you should um, avoid with this? Because I've heard kind of two schools of thoughts, avoid certain things. Otherwise, um, you know, push through to get that range of motion back. That's a great ask your doctor question. Okay. Um, that's why I asked. That I <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Because I, th- yeah. I think it depends on the nature of the rotator cuff injury and how far along you are in the rotator cuff injury. What I will say on training the rotator cuff is, well, I've got a few thoughts. Um, one of them is that you want to train your rotator cuff in in lots of directions. So a lot of what happens for a lot of us is we do that classic and I've given this band exercise where like we're standing and we pull our hand in and out. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Right. That internal external rotation. Cool. Great. Uh, but that is only training your rotator cuff in that plane of motion for that specific action. Mm -hmm. So if you do that all day long and that is your transition, that's PT and you go back to like CrossFit or something really intensive, you might find that when you grab that weight and you try to snatch your arms over your head, it feels icky still. And it's not that PT didn't work. It's that you only strengthened your rotator cuff in one direction that you're not using in the gym. Mm. So, so I would say try to pick a variety of rotator cuff exercises that, um, that strengthen it in all different directions. And that could be doing motions you already do, just being really picky about uh, how your shoulder moves in the joint because if it tracks better you're going to have your rotator cuff be on Mm. so and then the other thing I'd say is really I kind of just said it but uh, a lot of people also do their rotator cuff exercises either with too heavy a weight or really really fast and you only have something like five millimeters of space in your shoulder joint and so your rotator cuff is not a muscle that you want to hypertrophy like you don't want a bulky rotator cuff you don't want your rotator cuff to be jacked because then you'll just get shoulder impingement uh, so so you so it's something that you want to do really precisely so you can make tre- make sure you turn that on instead of just firing up your neck and your pack and then you want to do it actually in high rep kind of slow, at least at first, you can kind of get your precision with low load. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I am, as soon as you said that exercise, it's like, oh yeah, my client was given that by her PT, that exact move. And then I don't know if she had any other different range of motions for it. So I'm like, that is something for me to look because sometimes people get PT moves. So making sure like now that I know this information, I can see, okay, maybe we need to work it in a different direction and just go back and ask your PT for another exercise. Right. Or, you know, I mean, as long as they're cleared to work with you, have them do their PT exercise. And then in that hint, hint, warm up, um, <laughs> right? Like, like pick something that you know is going to make them turn on that muscle just in other directions. Like the simplest rotator cuff exercise I know that I love, it doesn't take any equipment, is you just like rotate your arms in and out as you take your arms overhead and then back down. 
Mm. And that one's great because you're getting internal and external rotation in multiple ranges of motion. Uh, and you're kind of playing with that whole sucking the arm in the joint because that's what the rotator cuff should be doing. Like uh, when you're against load, like say holding onto a weight for a row. Mm, I like that. That's a good one. Um, okay. So I want to, before we run out of time, I do want to talk about hamstrings and tight hamstrings in particular, and whether people have tight hamstrings or there could be something else going on. My guess is you might say something with the back. Sure. Could be. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, uh, (laughs) the answer is always yes. And, (laughs) uh, I I mean, the the thing about hamstrings is that, so I'll just say this. I don't have anything against hamstring stretching, but if you're stretching your hamstrings to death all the time and they're never getting any looser, you might want to try a new approach, (laughs) like layer in some other stuff, right? Because I mean, we've all seen like the person who religiously does yoga, who has really impressive flexibility and they're talking about how tight their hamstrings are. And they're like in like the biggest forward fold you've ever seen. Yeah. That person does not have tight hamstrings. Um, so hamstring tightness can be a few different things. Uh, first, if you want to look at it from like an anatomical point of view, people who have a anterior tilt, they tend to look like they're sticking their butt out. You'll see that some people who have a lot of standing jobs or like a lot of the times again, fitness professionals, they'll look, they'll be like short in their hip flexors and, um, yeah, short in their hip flexors and long in their hamstrings. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time that person might feel like their hamstrings are tight. And what they're actually feeling is that their hamstrings are being locked long or held in overstretch. And so their nervous system is actually kind of locking down the hamstrings as a way of saying like, please don't stretch these further. They're already overstretched. Mm. So that, for example, could be one example of tight feeling hamstrings that are not, if you look at it from a pelvic position, anatomically tight. Mm, that could be me. <laughs> <laughs> um, on, on the flip side, people who might have more truly tight, for whatever reason, uh, hamstrings would be like the kind of like the slumper or the butt tucker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's usually the person who kind of sits in their slumpy chair at their desk. And when they stand up, they kind of have like their butt tucked under and kind of that posterior tilt. That's someone who's going to have more classically tight hamstrings. Uh, but again, the question is like, I have nothing against stretching it, but in both cases, my question would be if stretching, it doesn't make it feel better. Maybe follow it up with some sort of glute strength and hip stability, because a lot of the time when you can get the glutes to fire more appropriately and the hip stabilizers to fire more appropriately, the hamstrings will just automatically let go because the nervous system's usually either locking them down because the pelvis is unstable so it's trying to protect you from going into a range of motion you can't control, or you're actually over-recruiting your hamstrings because you don't have access to your glutes. So everything's coming from the hamstring instead. Yeah, what you just said, really, uh, that just came full circle for myself because I'm like, oh, that's everything that I'm working on with my PT. And I'm like, so it's probably a matter of time and my hamstrings are not going to feel so tight because my hips are the things that we're working on and trying to get that femur to not be so jammed into my hip. So that just made complete sense to myself. Hopefully it helps someone else. <laughs> and the other thing is, right, we, we joke because it's like you say, you're like, oh, me too. I'm like, me too as well. It's so common, yeah. right? Like most of us have really weak hip stabilizers and we have really weak hip stabilizers because our world is not ergonomically or movement friendly. Hmm. How do you think like just pl- adding play to your routine or how can we kind of help I guess, get more movement into your day? You know, I think it depends on the person, of course. Um, But one of the things is if you have to sit, I totally get it. Um, First off, just try to make yourself get up and move around or walk around like every hour, even if it's for like five or 10 minutes. So it's like, just do something to get yourself out of that super still position. Mm. And, and that could be walking around if you have the availability of getting on the floor and not having your coworkers look at you like you're a weirdo, like you work from home, right? It could just be doing like a little bit of gentle hip movement, which could be like, 
Tammy rocking or like a bird dog or like little leg circles. Like there's tons of things you could do, but basically just like moving your hip joints Mm -hmm. in various directions. And then the other thing is if you know you have to sit, and I I am saying this right now with a uh, do as I say, not as I do, because I'm sitting in a weird folded position on a slumpy chair. (laughs) But but if you're if you're smarter than me or you're experiencing some discomfort right when you're sitting and you know you have to sit i would say it helps to sit at the front edge of your chair usually on some sort of cushion or prop to get your butt higher than your knees cuz that's going to be a better position for the pelvis with the legs and this is not very ladylike a little bit wide and turned out mm. yeah that makes sense like i'm envisioning right now and that's yep I can, I can dig that. So that would be something for anyone to kind of try to do, or just add some of that into their day to loosen things up. Um, and I did want to come back because I almost forgot to ask about the psoas, but I do want to talk about the psoas really quick before we wrap up. So can you tell everyone about the psoas and, um, this finicky muscle? (laughs) Oh, and again, I, I, I almost want to be careful about what I say because there's so many, <laughs> like, no, like in the Pilates community, there's like a huge debate where we're like, is it a hip flexor? And I'm like, oh goodness, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and everyone wants to blame it on something, right? Yeah. Everyone oh, yeah. wants to be like, oh, the psoas, yep. it, it, it's, it's like, it's the cause of your childhood trauma. It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like there, there's so many weird yeah, I'm gonna say weird. There, there's a lot of theories about what's yeah. going on with your psoas. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say from a more general perspective is it's, we like to blame it for a lot of things. Is it its fault? I don't know. Mm-hmm. In my experience or what I've heard anecdotally uh, is that it's kind of the first thing to go out and the last thing to go in mm. um, in terms of muscle, like, I don't know, tension alignment. But basically for people who don't know what it is, uh, you can think of it kind of like a deep core slash possibly depending on who you talk to hip flexor muscle uh, <laughs> that attaches kind of, I want to say up at like T12 and then kind of runs down and dives into sort of like your pelvis um, to kind of attach to your leg bone. Mm-hmm. And so it, it helps stabilize the spine and it also kind of, it, it's most important to my understanding um, for kind of like short range hip flexion and much like um, the rotator cuff, it sucks your hip into the socket. Uh, so for a lot of us, because it can get locked long on one side and locked short on the other, we have a psoas that is kind of imbalanced. And whether it's the psoas's fault or you know, all of the other things we just talked about that could be creating this position that locks the psoas in a funny position, it, it ends up being sort of an area that's known for discomfort and is kind of associated with um, low back pain. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I learned too, because I took a yoga workshop on it. Um, and I believe, I guess it probably would depend, uh, you know, the yoga teacher I learned it from, yes, hip flexion, but I suppose, depending on who you talk to in the yoga world, it's probably the same debate. Um, and that was where I heard, well, I guess one of the teachers, that's where she said a lot of the problems stem from is the psoas. Uh, but that's like my PT that I've went to has not even mentioned my psoas once. So that's why I always am like, so how intense is this muscle? You know, just everyone has a different take on it. So that's why I like to get out all of the reasons and educate people on what the heck is a psoas. Absolutely. And what I would add to that is that like, especially in this podcast, we've talked a lot about muscles, but when you're actually training or you're training someone, like you don't, if you know what good movement or kind of what biomechanically efficient movement is supposed to look like, like you don't necessarily need to know or target all of these individual muscles. You can just go, can the leg track freely through space, through hip flexion and extension? Mm-hmm. If it can, cool, you got psoas. If you were able to pull the knee into your chest while maintaining a neutral pelvis, you definitely got psoas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes, that's a... Those are good reminders too for everyone in case they're like, oh my gosh, I have a lot of things messed up about my body. You, you might not. No, it's common. It's, it's, it's just, um, you know, there's a little bit of close enough is good enough. But if you, especially because we're talking a little bit about pain and injury, 
to my understanding, what they're finding now is that the same kind of pathways that your brain takes for uh, proprioception or body awareness are the same pathways it takes for pain. And so that's why if you can move things in a more specific way to kind of regain that body awareness or proprioception, that's why pain decreases. Huh. I did not yeah, know that. Kind of interesting. That is really cool. I do. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Knowledge to share. So kind of wrapping up now, I want to know where people can connect with you. Uh, yeah. So uh, there is my website, which is nablevy.com, which I'll just spell because good <laughs> Lord. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you if you can't spell that. I can barely spell it. Uh, but it's N as in Nancy, A, A, B as in boy, L, E, B as in violin, Y.com. And I've got about 8 million really long, heady blog posts about all the things we talked about with specific exercises. So if you ever wanted resources, you could always go check that out. And then all of my social media, um, Instagram and Facebook, uh, Instagram is under at Nablevi and Facebook is just my name, Nikki Nablevi. I think it's Pilates and Fitness. So any of those, I have Twitter. Don't try to reach out to me on Twitter because I never check it. That's the only one. <laughs> I, I don't do that either. Uh, I tried and I was like, oh, it's just uh, uh, that little bird and I are not friends. Yeah. Goes too fast for me. I can't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> too verbose. You also, have, you also have a podcast. Oh yeah, I do. Uh, that one is moving well podcast <laughs> <laughs> on iTunes yeah. and all those fun places. <laughs> all right. So wrapping up the final couple questions, uh, what does peaceful power mean to you? Yeah. You, you, you kind of gave me a heads up to answer that one ahead of time. And I was thinking about it. Um, and I think to me, what it means is being able to find strength in your body and yourself, but also within that strength, a sense of ease. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's perfect. Especially for everything we talked about today. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, I like to have a weekly challenge out there for the listeners. And then when I have a guest, I have you guys kind of throw out a weekly challenge. So what would you like this week's challenge to be to everyone? Uh, be when you are sitting at your desk, let's say, or in your car, play with this idea of noticing how you feel in that position. Uh, and if you find that when you're there for a little too long, and you'll know because things will start to talk at you, just see if you can change your position or just shift something around to make it more comfortable. So that doesn't need to be a right or a wrong. It's just kind of more of an awareness exercise. Mm. And that way, if you're having discomfort or tension, you might also start to clue in on what might be causing it that you weren't aware of. Mm, I love that. Listening to your body and yes, experimentation. <laughs> and I haven't had that challenge. That's a good one. Awesome. So that is um, wonderful. I'm sure a lot of people, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to her because we went through a lot of different stuff. We did. <laughs> I know. I was like, I don't know how much we'll get through, but we got all of it quite a bit. And um, I mean, definitely her blog is a great resource and um, I'm sure she'll reach out and respond if you hit her up on Instagram or Facebook if you want to know more about any of these topics. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to have you on today, Nikki. Thanks for having me. It's super fun. No problem. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. Today's episode was brought to you by Hustle, Muscle, and Flow, the preview workouts. So what are they? Well, the preview workouts are geared to help people understand what my training philosophy is. So I am someone who does 30-minute workouts hit style, meaning you're, go you're going high intensity for the cardio, the strength, and you're getting it all done most likely from the comforts of your own home. So I encourage you to lift as heavy as you possibly can with the weights that you have on hand. And sometimes that might be your child for all the mamas out there. And what have I found? Well, I've had someone who actually just emailed me and said they just lost 10 pounds in the first six weeks after doing these workouts. I've had other people say they couldn't believe they actually could get results in 30 minutes. And another person said, wow, I can't believe they actually do work. So these have been the workouts that I've been testing on myself and on my clients for years. These are also a combination of the workouts that I've been doing to get myself back in shape after having my son. You know, I had to lose 40 pounds and it didn't come off very easily. So I had to push myself. And these are workouts that actually help me 
get that work done. So along with that, um, you also will have a little self-care little checklist because along with the workouts, taking care of you is so important. And I know that is. So I want to make sure I set you up for success and give you the workouts along with that self-care. And then you also get a link to the, my YouTube channel where I have yoga as well, because my hustle, muscle, and flow wouldn't be complete without a little bit of yoga. So if you're curious, it is all free and you can sign up over at my website at andreaclawson.com and it's right on my homepage and you can just click right there and get signed up for these awesome four workouts. All right. And let me know, please give me any feedback you have on them because I am always tweaking and changing and helping women get results from the comforts of their own home or if you want at the gym, park, whatever works best for you.